Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello, and here we are once again going through 1 Peter. We are in chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for liking and subscribing and sharing this with others. That means a great deal. And we hope that you've had a great new year so far and that it's not been too cold and terrible where you are. Of course, we also have viewers down in Australia, so let's hope it's not too hot for you right now. Never made it down there. One day, maybe. 1 Peter 3, 13. Who is going to harm you if you are doing good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. I just love that line. He actually gets that out of Isaiah chapter 8, if I remember correctly. Do not fear what they fear. This world is fear-soaked, and the fear mongers run <clears throat> the commercials, the newscast, and pretty much all of the public arenas. Fear, fear, fear. Scripture says, do not fear what they fear. Learn to be wise. Learn, we have, we have something in us which is different. And it allows us to go through life more gently and more at peace. He'll, he'll speak to that. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. So when you know who's in charge, you're not as afraid as you might otherwise be. Now, think of it this way. Uh, If you were a young person and you're out on the playground and you're constantly bullied, perhaps your appearance or your race or your background or your accent or whatever it is, how would you feel when it comes to recess time? (coughs) Excuse me. All the rest of the kids are very, very excited but you're not, or you're in middle school and the bell rings and now you have to change classes and you know that you're not popular with the powerful, well-loved, beautiful people and that they're going to remind you of it as you go through the hallway. And for, for many, many kids, the school days are not a nice memory to look back upon. They're hell, they're just horrible. Now, what would it be like if you were to be placed on the playground or to change classes in middle school but you've got the most handsome, powerful athlete in the school who's bigger, stronger, better looking than everybody else. And that person happens to be your best friend who has sworn to you that they will love you, walk with you, and that they will decide the ultimate end of every interchange. Changes, doesn't it? Changes everything. There is even a cute little movie Oh, way back, around maybe 1981 or two, called My Bodyguard. And it was based upon that premise. We have a king, so why should we be afraid? He goes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. I can remember 
Uh, I had uh, two surgeries on this part of my face. They uh, would break your nose so that you could go in from that side and come in your mouth and cut around it so you could pull your face back up uh, and get to things. And now neither of these were cancer, but there was some real issues in there that had to be dealt with. And it left me with some nerve damage and some trigeminal, but neuralgia, but it, you know, life is good. And it says um, <clears throat> to give an answer. I can remember laying on the gurney and the nurse taking my blood pressure and was concerned it was so low and she took it a couple times and I said is there a problem and she goes do you know why it would be this low and I think it was 95 over 60 something and I said yeah because I'm all worked up right now well it wasn't terribly fair but it was fun um, my family has traditionally uh, low blood pressure until we get into our late 50s when it pops up a little bit higher than it should be and so I told her, you know, I can calm down. She said, how can you be so calm? And I said, well, it's because I know who's telling this story. And I said, I don't know how the story is going to progress. And I, all I do know is that through all of the dangers and all of the real pain and issues in this story, that I'll win because the hero wins and the hero is promised to carry me. And so we got to talk a little bit. Just be nice, be kind. But don't be afraid. Christ is Lord. And then, in fact, give, every, give an answer to everybody who asks for the reason for the hope. But do this. This is coming from Peter. From Peter. He says, do this with gentleness and respect. You know, Peter didn't always pull that one off. Well, neither did I. There are many times I look back in my life and the answers I gave people that I thought were witty or humorous or they were um, kill shots and that that ends the argument. But my attitude came across as arrogant, uh, flippant, sarcastic. And maybe it came across that way because it was. I don't know. But what I do know is that I don't give answers the same way that I used to. And I probably won't give answers the way I'm doing now if God gives me another four, five, ten years doing this. We're supposed to grow and get better. And we're not supposed to always mourn our mistakes of the past. But this is something just good to remember. You can be as smart as you want to be, but when you answer, do so with gentleness and respect. Can you see already how that would make us look alien and strangers on this planet? Well, I think that's what Peter's going for. He said so. I think, I think it's what it's going for. He says, if you do this, you keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. Please remember, Christians, who he's talking to and about, lived under the Roman system where every business transaction, every fraternal um, activity, every sporting event, every contract was preceded by ritual prayers of loyalty and allegiance to the emperor as God. When Christians would not do this, they were often mistreated. They were often um, left out of economic and educational opportunities. They were called atheists. They were called troublers of the peace of the empire. And so Peter's saying, 
you live and be so kind to them that even when they do speak maliciously of you, that eventually they're going to be ashamed of that. Verse 17, it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. If uh, <clears throat> you're going to suffer, right? Why don't we suffer for doing good rather than doing evil? That seems a, a really Peter thing to say. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. We've got to stop. Um, you, you, here's one of Peter's only run-on uh, sentence thoughts, and we have to chop it up. First of all, the righteous died for the unrighteous. Christ died for us. He has saved us. That should be good news that gets us through the day. Please understand, Peter did not in anywhere here say, he saved you, but you better be really good if you want to keep that salvation. No, he said he saved you. I grew up in a church where it was taught to us that we could lose our salvation just like that say the wrong thing, bad choice, look the wrong way, this happened, boom, you're lost. But that's not found in scripture at all, period. And Peter here says, you're saved. So basically he's saying, relax. And then he wasn't just, Christ wasn't just satisfied with saving the alive people. He went and preached to the spirits who were in prison. Now here's the thing. And I'm probably going to get some emails about this. But we don't really know what Peter's talking about here. I have read so many commentaries. I've checked so many sources. And there are a few leading theories. And they don't agree with each other at all. And they are very much in competition with each other. And none of them really completely satisfy all I can say is that Peter knew what he was talking about and probably the people got the letter knew. But when he preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago, well, here's the main concept, is that before Noah and even after Noah, most people didn't know anything about God. And so Jesus went and wherever their spirits were, he preached to them so that they could enter heaven, salvation after death. And that's really what we're looking at here. Uh, and regardless of what theory you grab, it, that's pretty much what this is being said here. Because why would you go if somebody is um, thousands of years later still burning? Please check the Monday morning messages on hell that I did. And you'll see I don't believe that. But if... Um, why would you just go and say, see, I'm right and I was right and Jesus came and saved people. Now, you didn't get to hear about it because you were born in what later on they're going to call China or later on they're going to call Brazil or something. And, and none of our missionaries have gotten there yet because they're kind of busy. But you're, um, I just want to let you know what you're missing. That makes no sense at all unless he's going there and bringing them raiding hell, raiding the grave so that people can go to heaven. And think about that, didn't Jesus say? And he said that he is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that the gates of hell could not withstand this? I, um, I used to think in that that meant, you know, we had powerful protection against the enemy. No, gates are defense. They're not offense. We're storming hell and it can't stand. You ever thought of that? Have a look. It's a lot of fun going back and looking with new eyes. Regardless, he goes, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. That would indicate, by the way, um, that Peter, although he knew the book of Enoch, because it's going to be, um, whoever wrote Second Peter is going to refer to it, that he didn't quite follow the Enochian uh, concept that a lot of others survived the flood as well. If you've never read the book of Enoch, it was cherished by the Jews and by the Christians. Um, rarely was it looked upon as exactly level with scripture, but certainly very much used, loved, and it had a huge impact on the way people thought and wrote, even the writers of scripture that we, we call the Bible. So um, you can get modern day versions of it. You can even download it as a podcast. I've done that. Uh, a lot of interesting things. If you watch the Russell, Russell Crowe movie called Noah quite a few years back now, he was really, you know, the whole movie was really attacked by Christians. I don't know why they feel like they need to do this. And publicly, and blah, 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 blah. but they actually had theological uh, consultants and the theological consultants had brought in the book of Enoch as well, which Peter knew and Jude knows because they're going to quote parts of those stories. So either way, Peter seems to believe more of the Pentateuch version saying, you know, only eight survived. Just an interesting thing, um, but nothing wrong with listening to the book of Enoch. Be aware that there were other books of Enoch that came out, second, third, fourth, whatever. And they are a mishmash that's almost impossible to understand. But the first one is a pretty good story. I think you might enjoy it. But they were saved in this water, however, symbols baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Okay then, <clears throat> what in the world is this? He's saying really a couple different thoughts. One, Christ is not content with saving 0.0005% of the humans that have ever lived. What do you think about that? Because that's if you've not listened yet, that's actually in one of the Monday morning messages for January. Why would Jesus and God, and their, all, their mercy and grace and abundance, choose the least effective salvation plan ever? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to those, all right? The fact is, Peter indicates Jesus is not content with people being lost, that he will go raid hell, which back then hell, Hades, Gehenna, the grave, was all a mismatch. And if anybody tries to tell you, no, this was one idea, this is another idea, they don't know their history and they don't know their literature. Uh, the words could be swapped around 
in a very confusing way, even by the same person. Christ is going to raid that. Remember in chapter 2, don't worry about your husbands. Christ has this. And here, he is ready to save us. We are saved by the resurrection of Christ. Now, in my particular tribe in which I was raised, we use this to prove that as water saved Noah, because he got in the ark, baptism saves us. And Peter does say that. But did you notice he said, not putting away the filth of the flesh? In other words, it's not about the water. It's about the baptism. But what does that mean? Don't you have to have water to baptize? Whether you're sprinkling, pouring, or immersing, as my tribe did and does, by the way. If you've never been baptized and you want to be, please write me, patrick, at oursafeharbor.com. We will do everything humanly possible to get to you to baptize you. We won't put you through a catechism. We won't ask you a ton of questions. It's just if you want to be, we'll help you. All right? So baptism is still desperately important to us, but we need to know what baptism meant to Peter and to the people that he wrote. And he was saying it's not about the water. It's about who you look to. You see, back then, there were baptisms all the time. Generally, they were self-done. Uh, you would have mikvah, which is one. Mikvahut is many. And people would walk down the steps into one. Generally speaking, these are carved into the ground or into rock. And you would then go under the bar, which was the level of the water, and come up the other side and walk out. And it was a ritual cleansing, yes. But Peter says that's not what's going on with ours. The main thing you were did with baptism was to declare your loyalty to God and to a rabbi, to the one you were following. And so people were baptized to Christ. There were baptisms for repentance of sin, look at Acts chapter 2, but also John the Baptist. But then there were baptisms that were <coughs> to show your loyalty, or actually to make covenant your loyalty to a particular teacher. Look at here again. This water symbolizes baptism <coughs> that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Things are more complicated and more simple than we have made them. If you have questions, get in touch. So, Chapter 4, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Um, probably meaning that when you're dead, you're done with sin, but we'll keep reading. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. Well, maybe not then. What could he possibly mean? I think what he... I think what he means is if you suffered because of sin, you don't want any more sin. But in 2 Peter, it's going to talk about people who have freed themselves from sin through Christ and turned around and gone back, and then he goes, and there's no hope for them. I'm not exactly sure what Peter's thought process was here. But I will say this. We, we do really need to talk about the damage of sin. 
and quit making it sound cute. Um, instead of talking about you know, going partying, we should call it what it is. It's gluttony and drunkenness, and it will destroy your life, your body and your life, your reputation. You, it'll destroy others. Or we ought to quit calling it an affair, a fling, a mistake. We should call it adultery, the breaking of covenant, sexual sin. Why? Because if we call it cutie names, it doesn't scare us. We're going to do it. But if we call it what it is, and then we talk about the suffering it causes, I think it would change our attitudes. I think if you have been cheated on, you're, you're probably less likely to cheat on your new improved partner, but it doesn't mean that you, that you are pure and that you won't cheat. I think we got to talk in generalities here and I think that's what he's doing. If you've suffered with sin, you don't think it's cute anymore. You don't think it's funny anymore. You don't see a, a comedian in a movie acting drunk and think that's funny anymore if you fought with alcoholism all your life or you had a parent that did. You see what I mean? When we confront the reality of the ugliness of sin, I think we lose our pleasure in it. Um, there, there, is a, there, there are many, but I, I recently watched a documentary on the um, reality behind the Japanese porn industry. Now, there was nothing titillating in it. There was no nudity. There was nothing like that. It was just women sitting there talking about how they had been abused, tricked, lured in, and then raped. And then those pictures are now out on the internet as if that is what they wanted to do. And it was heartbreaking. If we knew the real stories behind what we're entertained by, I think we'd be less entertained. And I think that's what he's saying here. Well, for you have spent enough time, he says. I love this. For, you know, as, as obtuse as Peter was and knows, I love this. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Have you noticed that he likes to call others pagans? That's not common in scripture, but it is in Peter. They live in debauchery. Well, there's a word you, you don't use more than a dozen times a day, is it? Debauchery means wicked excess. Um, you know, this would be completely sociopath behavior in that you don't care about the feelings of others. This is you driving your Rolls Royce past the homeless and going, <laughs> Man, hate to be you. You know, uh, this is also eating too much, drinking too much, sleeping around, you know, orgies and the like. Debauchery is just taking depraved behavior and turning it up to 11. All right? If you don't know what turn it up to 11 is, I'm not sure we can be friends. Go watch Spinal Tap. Um, don't Google Spinal Tap. Um, this is Spinal Tap, was a, a mockumentary made many years ago and it should be required viewership. There we are. Debauchery, lust, drunkenness. And again, drunkenness here generally does refer to alcohol, but it also means overfilling with anything. 
So it could be drugs, it can be food, it can be uh, orgies, carousing. That's what carousing would be what we would call a movable party that bar hops, club hops, um, hookups are occurring along the way. That's carousing and detestable idolatry. Uh, at that time, you know, normally a, a minister then talks about how anything can be your idol, your car, your house, your all true. But the idolatry that Peter's talking about hooks in with all of the other stuff he's talked about. And that is hooked into the worship of the state and the worship of its leaders and the worship of a political party or a political system. That's the idolatry he's really talking about. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the strange flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. Oh, I get that one. You get that one? I got that one. See, during my high school years, I wanted to enjoy the pleasures that my friends, uh, and they, I didn't really have close friends. I was never home. I was always moved about, right? So um, always a new kid and a strange kid because my dad always wanted our hair super short and, you know, a button-up shirt and, and, and proper trousers on, never jeans, never, I, it was, it was like a big arrow pointing over your head all the time. Here's the odd kid. And plus I had to, to my job was to convert my classmates because all of them were going to hell because we were the only true church. So it didn't make for a happy, um, happy high school. But I would, I would have loved to have enjoyed some of the parties and seen and, and tasted and touched. It was never really attempted by illegal drugs, you know, heroin, cocaine and like, except when they would come and show movies about don't do these drugs because the music was incredible and the lights and the wooziness. I was going, well, that actually looks highly attractive, but never did it. Very glad I never did it. All of that to say, whenever I didn't participate, I became a target. You know that. It's happened to many of you. Whenever that your friends, well, let's all do this. I can remember when the bottles being passed and joints were being passed and I was caught in an area and I said, no. And they didn't, no one looked at me and said, well, you know, good for you for making your own decision. Good for you. You know, you, you drew your lines, you stood there. You be you, that's brave. No. As Peter says, they heap abuse on you. What's wrong with you? Are you saying we're stupid? Are you afraid? You're afraid your mommy's gonna find out? And, like, and I, I listened to all that and one of these, after four or five of these hit me, one guy goes, are you just afraid to make up your own mind and make your own decision? I said, if, did, you, did you miss it? I did. I made my own decision. You're making the same decision everybody else is in the room. I'm making a different one. I'm the only one who did. Well, that didn't mean that they went, you know, Patrick, you're right. Let's all run and be baptized. It doesn't work that way, does it? It does. So enough with the mythologies. Instead, just be aware, verse 5, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead. Again, probably talking back to that spirits in prison thing, but so that they may be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. In other words, we're free. We're free from this. They can do to our bodies what they want to do to us. As Jesus said, don't fear men that can kill the body. Fear God who can kill the body and the soul. 
And so we, we fear God, but we don't fear men. Therefore, men will do what men will do, but we are going to follow God. We're not going to knuckle under and be so mistreated by men that we decide to be just like them. That's the whole point of chapter four so far, saying, didn't you try that long enough? Haven't you been like pagans long enough? How's it working? You know, I've actually never seen a Dr. Phil show, but I've heard him quoted many times as saying, well, how's that working out for you? Sad thing is people don't, don't pick up on it and they do the same thing again and again and again and again. What would happen right now if you had, and I don't know which one to pick because you know, we're all over the place, aren't we? But let's say um, if you get drunk, you binge drink and, and like, or that you've been smoking all your life. What if we say, what if you never spend a penny on that, but all the pennies that you put that direction, you put into a bank, a savings jar, whatever. And all the time you put into that, getting ready, doing it, recovering from, you put into something else, learning an instrument, reading, walking through nature, whatever it is. How much money would you have and how much better would your life be? And all of us at this point go ding, 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 okay, better. Because it might not be alcohol, it might not be smoking. And I'm not saying if you do these things, you're lost forever. That's, you know, God, God's a merciful God. But none of that makes sense. Spending all of this, it just doesn't make sense. Think of, I, th I think about the things I've bought that didn't really work out for me or I really didn't need or that I lost money on. And that would include guitars, which I, I love guitars, but I haven't always been smart with that. I love cars, but in my earlier years, I've gotten a lot smarter. I, uh, I traded cars too often. I wanted too much. And oh my goodness, I'd love to have that money and time back. Think of how much sin costs you. Money, time, wear and tear, brokenness, and broken relationships. Peter says, isn't it enough enough? Let Christ be Lord. Do it for you. Well, he says, we're going to do this real quick because I know we're coming up on 30 minutes. We try to, to stop about then. Um, and we'll, we'll probably finish 1 Peter next week, all right? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The end of all things? Yeah, the apostles believed that Jesus was coming right back. Uh, Paul makes that clear. And then in Paul's later writings, he tends to indicate that, well, let's, this may be a while. So, and again, Peter, they all thought he was coming right back. All my life I've been told he's coming right back. And there are preachers right now making a lot of money uh, and you know, Messianic rabbi, he's making a lot of money writing books about the signs are here, he's right back. So Peter's just saying what people have said for 2,000 years. You don't have to join in. But be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you may pray. That, it's got a lot of weight on that one. I'm going to let you sit with that one because I want to hit verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Our love covers sins and that we choose not to point, 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 but rather love 
think about how much how much God's love covers he's got you trust him see you next week cheers <laughs>